welcome everyone to I So Appreciate You, a raw, funny, and uniquely insightful podcast about the issues and opportunities we all face as values-based leaders and humans. I'm Nadej. And I'm Melanie. We're colleagues at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation, and we're friends. When we get together, our conversations can go anywhere, especially when bringing a friend or two along for the ride. So we're inviting you to join us and some incredible guests as we explore the challenges and triumphs of people shaking up our community for the better. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are going to be talking about Black-led change, specifically as it relates to philanthropy, but I'm sure we'll wander into other areas. Um, And we're going to be joined by special guest Lulit Mola, who is the co-founder and president of the Minnesota Black Collective Foundation. Dash, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. So you say black led change and immediately what is happening in my brain is I'm thinking about Black Panther, which I just saw yesterday. Lucky. I know. It was amazing. Um, but I'm not going to talk about it okay. because I don't know who's listening and when they're listening and when they get to see the yes, movie. So yes. I don't want to spoil anything. But then it just had me thinking about like movies and fun things, which I realize is a bit of a tangent. But like, what what did you do this weekend? Melanie? Oh, goodness. Uh Boy, it's been a, a busy weekend of house projects and we had, we made brunch. We cooked. You Ooh. know, we're kind of getting back into cooking for friends and family because the pandemic shut it down and I'm really out of practice, but we did some of that, went on a lot of walks. And I also, um, it was just ahead of the weekend, but was able to um, be in discussion with a visiting author, our, fr- our friend, Vanessa B., who has a new book out. Um, called Homebound, which actually would lend quite nicely to our discussion today. So that was fun. And I just have to give us a shout out because being a podcast co-host was really, really helpful in terms of facilitating <laughs> this discussion in front of a crowd. So that's, that's awesome. what I've been up to. That's How awesome. about you? What else besides the movie? Well, my weekend was not nearly as like wide ranging and cultural as yours. Um, I mean, we binge watch drink masters. Ooh, is that like a cocktail <laughs> it show? It is a cocktail show on Netflix. Um, and it was fascinating just to sort of watch the thinking and the creativity of people making literally a cocktail. Um, so there was Ooh, that. That is creative though. Yeah, it is super creative. And then we started another show speaking about brunch Yes, called Big Brunch. Mm. And the only reason I'm talking about this show is because there is a woman on the show who is Haitian who has my first name. Really? I mean, I don't know when I've ever seen somebody on TV named Nadej. It was amazing. That's amazing. Do you want to know something else? In the book that I was just talking about, there is a person in there with your name. Are you kidding? No. No, it is it is the it is the weekend of your name apparently. So that is okay. I feel like I need to go buy a lottery ticket or something because my <laughs> you, name. You is missed that <laughs> window for that big drawing. Listen, I don't need the big one. I just need one. Ooh, you know what? I'll just take whatever whatever the universe wants to give me lottery wise. I will take all it. All right, all right. <laughs> so I think on that very lucky and energetic note, like I'm looking forward to just diving right yeah, into this conversation. Let's with get Lily. into it. Yes. All right. At the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation, we partner with hundreds of nonprofits to support their endowment funds. An endowment is a great way to provide your organization with a stable income for generations to come. If you are interested in learning more about starting an endowment, 
contact a member of our team by visiting spmcf.org slash endowment. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We are very excited to have our special guest today, Lolit Mola. Lolit, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I am surprisingly happy about the snowfall this morning. Yes, we are recording on a very beautiful snowy day. So yes. it's a, it's it's we're almost like in a snow globe a little bit. It's very magical. Oh, I like that. Yes. Well, before we jump into the discussion, and Nadej and I have a lot of questions for you, we just want to give our listeners a tiny bit of your backstory. Um, there's much to say, but we've picked out just a couple of highlights. First of all, you're the co-founder and president of the Minnesota Black Collective Foundation, which is Minnesota's first Black Community Foundation, which is very exciting to talk about. Um, secondly, this, I was just saying before we started recording that um, I was very excited to watch you on the foundations, our foundations, Facing Race Awards. You are one of four recipients this year. And our Facing Race Awards each year recognizes those in our community who are really making efforts against um, the racism in our in our culture and our society. And the work you do certainly does that. So thank you for that. And then we did a little sleuthing and found that at age 15, you created something called She, which is an organization that encouraged power building and leadership with girls, particularly black girls and girls of color. So this is you at 15. And now fast forward, of course, we see the leadership role that you're in today. So um, super exciting to, to have you with us. Yes. Thank you for having me. Well, um, before we dive right in, and I, and I feel like you've told us that you've heard the podcast, so you know yes. we're about to do three quick questions. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. So are you ready? I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm here. <laughs> All right. Here we go. This one's easy. Snow or rain? Rain. Ooh. Oh, absolutely. You said that like just real smooth. Is oh, there yes. a particular kind of rain that you're a fan of? I love a good thunderstorm. Yeah. Okay. If I had to describe like my mood it is either sun showers or is a like dark thunderstorm filled day oh I just love the mood of like leaning into what that presents whether it's a good book a good show being inside or even being outside I just love a good rainy day and you're just like painting up I know poetry right right there poetry yeah (laughs) all right what's worse laundry or dishes <laughs> both is not an answer both well, is my answer yeah, I will say laundry because you have to wash it I and agree. then you have to put it away with dishes you could wash it and then set it out mm-hmm. neatly to dry and then you could walk away and someone else can put it away. <laughs> yeah. I don't put dishes away. I wash them and then put them to the side. Uh, I'm with you. Wash. And then they 100%. get used. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. So laundry. Okay. Fair enough. Fair yes. Enough. I can appreciate that. Yes. Um, the ocean or the mountains? The ocean. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. So is that related to the rain and the water? Do you have the, the, I do water? love water. I, but you and Melanie have that mm-hmm. in common. Oh, yeah. I am. I, I'm writing a book on water right now. You are? Yes. Oh, that's yes. cool. Yeah, I love the ocean. I mean, who doesn't, right? Also, um, where I'm from, you know, we are sun people, East Africa, mm-hmm. Ethiopia. So we didn't necessarily have access to the ocean, but lakes and seas. So the ocean reminds me of all of that. Oh, that's Beautiful. really wonderful. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So um, as Melanie said, you're the co-founder and president of the Minnesota Black Collective Foundation. Yes. And so I want to chat. I mean, we want to chat about that a lot, not just a little bit, Um, but I want to give a little context. So for those of our listeners who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about the origins of this foundation? Yes, I can. Uh, So let's start with none of us saw COVID-19 coming. No, we did not. Right. Or the uprising that was for racial justice that was ignited by the murder of George Floyd, may he rest in peace, which was actually um, more nationally and internationally renowned. But if you've been rooted here, you know that we've had many local community uprisings against mm-hmm. racial injustice. I got into this work not because I dreamt of a career in racial justice or a career in philanthropy. I got into this work because I loved my family so much. I love my neighbors so much. I love my community so much. And it confused me and frustrated me that the world did not love and honor my people the way I loved and honored my people. And so it was natural for me to do something about it. When the uprising happened, I was at the Women's Foundation of Minnesota as the chief strategy and innovation officer. The way I entered philanthropy was untraditional. It was like almost by accident. You know, I was already doing this work in community and then this opportunity came up at the Women's Foundation and so I entered it. And so my perspective of how I made decisions or moved in the sector was always informed by the movement for Black Lives. But often I felt split. I, you know, I felt like when I was in philanthropy, I was a representative of community, right? And I think many of us feel this Mm -hmm. way. We're seen with multiple, within multiple identities, right? So the way I occupy a position is very different than someone else who doesn't have those same relationships and presence and connections and community. But then when I was in community, I would have this label of funder on me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it always felt odd because, one, I didn't know how to reconcile both. I just knew that I existed in both spaces. And so when the uprising came and just like before, I would be in the streets in the morning and be making grand decisions that afternoon, Mm -hmm. you know, in the same day and would have to kind of level myself, right? From high emotions, high rage, high frustration to being, you know, even tempered, kind of changing your mindset because the two, while rooted um, in the same values, take different parts of your brain. Uh, So again, when the uprising happened, I examined my proximity to power. Mm -hmm. And that was clearly the sector of philanthropy. And I reached out to my co-founders, Rapamika and Shonda Smith-Baker, who were also invested and moved in philanthropy far greater time than I have been in the sector um, uh, from different experiences of blackness um, than mine, and then highly influential in both the sector philanthropy and community. And the three of us said, okay, what can we do to ask philanthropy to not just express empathy, Mm -hmm. but really engage in power shifting solidarity and transformation. And so 
we wrote a letter basically saying, hey, we don't know exactly what we're going to do, but we know we have to do something. And are you in to be part of this philanthropic collective, our original name, to combat anti-Blackness and realize racial justice? And us even saying like anti-Blackness, right? Mm -hmm. Like being very specific to what was happening, naming it, defining it, not letting vague words such as diversity, equity, and inclusion be the terms that define the moment, but actually calling things what they were. um, That was transformational. Or um, putting forth racial justice, right? Not just racial equity, because both exist on a spectrum, Mm -hmm. but saying like, are we committed to racial justice? Are we also committed to understanding what led to that nine-minute video of George Floyd pleading for his life is not necessarily only the police officers that were there or policing is actually multiple sectors and multiple narratives and systems that work together to create that very moment. And we're all either complicit in that system or we can do something about that system. So are we really about it? And that's how the work got started. Wow, there's so uh, much to unpack. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, as <laughs> I've been I've been taking notes. Boy, where to jump in? Does you okay if I? Yeah, go for take it. one of these threads. Um, thank you, Lead, for sharing sharing that story. Um, and the sort of your origin story. One thing that stood out to me is the the way you describe the pressure of being sort of both and like you're you're in in a, an institution. And seen as a representative and having to sort of carry that weight and also being out in the community and having to carry that weight of representing the institution. Like it's this circular thing. There are very unique pressures that I think someone who's in my body wouldn't feel as they would in yours. But I want to now ask my question, which is um, now you're moving into this new space as a co-founder and that has its own unique pressures, like starting something new um, charting the way, like having, having the, both the freedom and the pressure to sort of be a first in this area is also loaded. And I'm just curious if you can just speak a little bit about what you're early on in this journey, what you're finding or facing, um, from that perspective. Yeah, I appreciate you naming that because the pressure is real, you know, uh, but there is two sides of a coin is, yep. is pressure and a gift, even going yes. back to uh, occupying the positions that we're occupying, mm-hmm. it is a gift to be able to walk into a room and bring all my people with yes. me. It is a gift to come from where I come from and mm-hmm. be proud of that and get to tell people we don't only exist in our tragedies, you know, we don't only exist in the statistics that are published every year. Uh, yes, yes. Say Minnesota has the worst disparities. Right. We also come from very vibrant and loving homes and uh, no one loves us more than our family and more than our neighbors and our community. Uh, so it, it is a gift. Then the other side of that is it is pressure. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, when I walk into the room, I am cognizant that I don't only represent myself. I represent many 
you know, whether I choose to or not in that moment. And so the way I conduct myself, the way I communicate, um, the things that I get done is a reflection of both the people that have poured into me and the people, the people who've come before me and the people that will come after me. And so being a co-founder, the first thing I'll say is I am so thankful I'm not alone. I'm so thankful there are two other brilliant, brilliant people who I consider, you know, almost like family um, that are by my side, you know, who carry gifts that I may not necessarily have. So I'm thankful that I don't have to feel this pressure alone, but I can build with, uh, with my co-founders who I greatly respect and admire. The second thing is, you know, we're also facing what a lot of Black-led organizations are facing, whether it's doubt, even though we prove ourselves, mm-hmm. um, or anti-Blackness, right? Just general mistrust of what we're doing and how we're doing it, or the constant pressure to prove ourselves, um, or having to perform to to be magical with minimal yeah, resources. Right. You know what I'm saying? So so that sometimes it does keep me up at night. I'm not gonna lie. And it from the beginning, like right. The fact that we didn't come out with a strategic plan and a five-point vision on how to go from A to B. Like, if you know me, I am very prepared, you know? Right, right. I I, I don't necessarily operate like that in my work, but this work required us to be emergent, to um, lean into what is happening in real time and lean in, to um, dig deep into history that you can't always see, but you can always feel, right? And to put forward a new path that we actually may not have necessarily seen ourselves, you know? What, in keeping me up at night, what has helped me sleep is, and I know we're going to talk about it, is is the unequivocal belief I have in the genius of Black-led change. There is nothing that reassures me more than the work Black folks have done across this globe time and time and time again. And if I have to, if someone asks me, what is your theory of change? My theory of change is the brilliance of Black people and the way that we've moved mountains and the way that we've not only engaged in historical anti-colonial struggles, but also just right here in the U.S. from, um, uh, you know, fighting against slavery to uh, the civil rights movement to recently the movement for Black lives or the amazing work we see every single day. The reality of the matter is when black people lead, all people benefit. Yes. And so even though these pressures are hard to carry, I try to lean into the real work I've witnessed firsthand and I can read about and I can learn about knowing that I am not alone, knowing that I am not the first a lot of people have come before me strategically creating foundations that you can't necessarily name but existed. Like while we're the first community foundation focused on all black people in Minnesota, 
you know, black folks in philanthropy have been moving resources for years. They just did it strategically, right? They met after the meeting yeah. to say, okay, how can we present this in a way that could be acceptable? Sometimes having to water down race in order for people to accept it, right? So there's been a lot of creative ways resources have been distributed. And so knowing that we're building off of work that has come before us, and then this work is beyond us, also humbles me yeah. greatly, um, both like affirming that I am important, but only as important as my people as a whole. Right. And I just want to underscore one thing, Nadege, before you jump in the, mm -hmm. the collective, because you're very intentional with your language, we can tell. And I think that just in that name, everything you said brings that piece of this foundation to life. Yeah. So I'm going to love that the genius of black led change. But I want to I want to play with that phrase black led um, because I mean, you've been in the philanthropic space. You probably know every couple of years somebody wants to do a survey or study about how we're funding organizations. And then there's a the big debate. How do you define if an organization is black led? Mm -hmm. Is it the one person at the top? Is it the, you know, what does that mean? And so I'd love for you to articulate what you understand as, as black led, because I, I feel like I can feel it, but nobody can hear that on the show. So yeah, <laughs> I ask you to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate it. And that is a very important question. So, uh, you know, we say black led change is the social, political and economic change led by diverse groups of black people. And in that we acknowledge that there is not a monolithic black people. You know, we are very diverse. And that's the gift of having a black community foundation, because now we can actually look at culture. We can look at gender. We can look at age. We can look at immigration. You know, we can look at the various ways black people are diverse within our communities and um, resource and amplify solutions related to the intersecting identities that we have. Um, black led change centers the power, interest, and well-being of black communities. And like I said earlier, often benefiting all people. I believe black led change is rooted in cultural practices across generations and across the diaspora. It reflects the inherent dignity and vision of black people. So when black led change is only rooted in our harm and is only rooted in all of the things that are wrong with us, I don't think that's black led change. I think that's change about black people. Right. But if if you know us, right, which we do, we know that we're more than our struggles. When my mom is getting together with her sister, she's not talking about all of the ways the world has kicked her down today. They're talking about food. They're talking about children. They're talking about their dreams. You know, so Black Let Change has to incorporate both the dreams, the visions of Black folks, in addition to the hardships and the things that we have to overcome. And what's important about Black Let Change is while it continues to prove its impact and necessity, it's historically, it's been targeted right? And it's been yeah. under-resourced and undervalued. And so to say Black-led change is genius is revolutionary because we're claiming our rightful place in history, saying change led by Black people for Black people, centering our well-being and centering our full identities 
is a way that improves the world for all people. And just even that narrative change can be monumental for our population that doesn't hear those messages every day. You know, I really appreciate the 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 narrative that that you're talking about because on one hand it's super basic like see me entirely right don't just see my flaws don't just see my challenges but see like the joy the happiness all of that um but on the other hand we don't hear it enough it's it like it it's not in the space and it's not it's not sort of i mean to your point when your mom gets together with friends or you know yes. um, sisters whomever we know it but like, why do we have to be the only ones talking about it? Right. I I want to affirm what you said about it's simple and yet we don't receive those messages. And I wholeheartedly believe it's on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, you get into the narratives of how people see themselves and see each other. And you get into the soul of how change does or doesn't happen. We are brilliant. We are capable, right? We make history. We deserve to be resourced at our capacity because we're already changing the world with with the little resources that we have. Right. Imagine what we can do if we are seen in our full light. And so the narrative that we get every day, including in philanthropy, right? Whenever we are being defined by our deficits and the assets are nowhere, we should be able to call that out and say, I appreciate this research report, but it's missing a lot. Like we have to start demanding full narratives of people. And that's a big part of social change that I think now is getting more recognized, but historically not necessarily has been as valued. So I just want to affirm that. I love what you said, especially as a, as a storyteller, a writer and a marketer with a foundation, mm-hmm. this, this demanding full narratives, because I do think we have these phrases that we use to try to define need and in different communities. And it's really usually deficit based. And we as a team have been reflecting on it. So I just want to underscore that. But my question is about where the foundation is and is it going to look similar to what we might think of as a foundation's purpose and mission and just in terms of traditional grant making or how you intervene in the community. So I'm, I just want to know kind of the nuts and bolts at this stage um, in the collective's early yeah. history. So, you know, 2020 to November 2021, actually tomorrow's my one year Ooh, congratulations. Yes, yes. All right, we're celebrating. <laughs> you know, uh, We've been working intentionally to emerge, to find out who we are, because we didn't set out and say we were going to create a black foundation. We said we have to do something beyond the moment. We have to invite power shifting solidarity. And then with time, we realized we actually have to build black power around philanthropy, whether it's claiming the inherent ways we are philanthropic. I often refer to um, the Kellogg Foundation study, I think early 2010s, um, that found that black people give the most of their income away. You know, even if you think about black folks who go to church yep. and do 10 percent tides, that's more than what the IRS regulates yeah. to private foundations right. right? or foundations, period. So we are a philanthropic people. 
we just do it in a different way. Whether we give to church or the mosque or you give to your cousin or your family or you send it to your home country, mm-hmm. you're still giving. It's just not systemized. It's not institutionalized. It's not institutionalized yeah. in, in the way we define right. philanthropy. Yeah. So part of our work is harnessing that giving and kind of institutionalizing it. Um, we realize we have to, building an endowment is a form of community wealth. Right. So we often talk about individual wealth building or family wealth building. What about community wealth building? Very few black organizations in this nation and even fewer in the state to raise almost $5 million. And we've given out over $1 million in what we're calling creative grant making. Um, and then... The other part I want to highlight is this work around narrative shifting and research. So uh, we are working with the Center for Evaluation and Innovation and other partners um, in the sector nationally to create a baseline. Where is Minnesota when it comes to giving to Black-led change as we defined and as defined by community? Where are we when it comes to giving to racial justice? Where do we want to be? You know, a lot of articles came out around what companies pledge versus what has come out. We want to do it in an encouraging way because we do want to partner with folks, right? And that's why we've moved from even the terminology from accountability to power shifting solidarity. Because when you're in power shifting solidarity, it's not just that you're standing by us. You're standing by us and willing to share the power that you have so that we also have power in this sector. We just went through our community builders practice. So instead of program, we call the various um, things that we do practices because practices make an organization and it influences the DNA of an org where programs can come and go. So everything that we're doing is influencing who we're becoming in real time. It's important that we fund underground work. So work that you can't necessarily see but you can feel mm. work that you can't Google, mm-hmm. but you know, you know, many families that have been impacted by that elder, many families that have been impacted by this initiative, maybe work that hasn't had the infrastructure to put together beautiful pamphlets and write op-eds in the Star Tribune. That's because they're doing the work. They're yeah. doing the work, but everybody in the neighborhood knows right. them, yeah. Yeah. you know? So so we focused on underground work. We focused on um, both larger organizations, legacy organizations, and new organizations. Mm-hmm. And so now we funded these 15 organizations um, as as the first cohort of our Black-led change partners. But here's the thing. We gave 50000 to the organizations, and then we're giving 10000 to the leaders of the organizations because we recognize how much leaders have to sacrifice in order to keep their work running. Wow. You know, I mean, you worked at a community foundation. We work at a community foundation. I think if you go back to the history of all of our community foundations, they're formed, and it's a whole number of years before a grant goes out. So I just have to go ahead and say kudos yes. that in year one, as a community foundation, you already got money out the door because that's a big deal. That's very yes. different than how community foundations sort of usually grow. And so I just, like, I love that. I think that's so powerful. Um, you know, one of the things that I want to ask you about is joy. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you are doing some like big work and I like I can see it physically because I'm looking at you, yes. but I know people can hear it in your tone because your voice has been like it's melodically up and down as you get passionate about something. But I want to know when you when you step away from the work, what brings you joy right now? Like what makes you happy? What makes you smile? Oh, I like that. Um, you know, I love stand up comedy. I think oh. we talked about this. I'm a big like Martin Lawrence and um, uh, Def Jam comedy. Like you can find it on Amazon. I and, it. Like I love a good like the good stand up old Eddie Murphy. <laughs> um, I I love stand up comedy, and I'm actually like it, there's such a difference between how you experience me personally and professionally, and I'm trying to like merge the two yeah. because personally, like. I'm all about a good time. Like, I talk a lot of stuff. <laughs> I crack jokes. I've you know? never experienced that with you. Listen, never. Just listen, kidding. That's, oh, okay. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm giving you grief. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so see, now, now we've crossed a friendship line. That's a good thing. Like, we're closer. Um, and the profession, I feel like I got to be serious because about that, like, I want to make sure I'm doing my work right and I'm doing right by my people, right? So I don't, I don't always feel like I could be my goofy self. So I love to just let go and, like, laugh. Um, I love podcasts. Cast, like the read is a fave mm. of mine. Um, I love fashion and pop culture. I love to spend time with my friends, you know, um, my partner and my 11 year old bonus son. So, yeah, I mean, I just like to kick it like outside of work. <laughs> I'm just like, Time is a social construct. You know, I don't really do schedules on the weekend because I like to free myself from the pressures of work. Like outside of work, I I love to live in a free, undefined world. And I don't even like, I don't even talk about my work a lot in my personal life because again, I'm trying to live authentically me, you know, authentically black. Like I'm not trying to define it and, write about it. I'm just trying to be, you know? So that's what brings me joy is when I get to just be. I love that so much. And I also love that, you know, whether you realize it or not, you are echoing some themes from some of our other guests about about really just sort of like making the space for the wholeness of your life, because like none of us can do the work that we do, whatever it is, really, honestly, whatever it is without, you know, filling our own tanks. Well, just to just to bring this back around, it's so hard to let you go, Lulu, because we have so much to talk about and could s- sit here for hours. I've been so lucky to learn from you today, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for, like, having questions outside of my notes <laughs> about joy push yeah. and yeah. the rain. Because I do, I dream of a life for me where I can be fully myself, yeah. you know, and I don't always know how to do that. So when people give me that space and kind of encourage me, that's when I step into it. Cause I don't always think about stepping into it. Mm myself you know so I just I appreciate this platform I I so appreciate you oh (laughs) on that note on that note thank you so much yes thank you wow I'd say that was a master class that we didn't know we were gonna get in narrative change I mean from start to finish 
I don't even have words, Melanie. I don't have words. I'm kind of with you. Uh, I'm just looking at my notes, demanding full narratives, she she asked of us all. Um, and I think that what we heard from her is painting that full narrative. I, I don't know a lot about her writing or storytelling, like her as a person, but if she, she doesn't, she, show, I was just going to say, like we need the Lulit show where she is speaking truth to power uh, and yes. telling everyone what they need to know because the lyricalness and the poetry in which she delivered so many complicated and deep truths in this conversation. I can't. I agree. I, I think we should shout out her Facing Race uh, segment. If, if someone hasn't watched it, go to facingrace.org yes. and you will be able to see her story in real time in a beautiful form. We get to meet some of her family members. We get to see them making coffee. So just want to, I am now officially a fan. I, you know, I think it was, it was just great. Everyone just dig in, listen to it again and just learn. That's all right. I can say. Yeah. Just learn. Yeah. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You. You can find us on Facebook at I So Appreciate You Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at So Appreciate You. We'd also appreciate you taking a moment to write us a review. And if you like our show, be sure to follow I So Appreciate You on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Have a question or topic suggestion? Email us at podcast at spmcf.org. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You.